Father, we're so grateful to you for the season of Christmas and what it means to us that, that Lord, you would send your only begotten Son to, to this earth. You would empty yourself of your glory and you would come here to die for our sins, Lord, and we're just so grateful for that. To give us, you came to give us new life, Lord, to give us hope, to give us a future. And as we look at this character, Jacob, Lord, we, we kind of get a picture of our own walk with you and, and how it's a process, a long process. And Lord, help us to see today as we, as we look at this story of Jacob and these vows that he makes, help us to maybe learn some lesson about making vows in our walk with you as we look at this, Lord, whether we should do that or whether we shouldn't do it or what, when we make vows, what does that mean? Just show us all those things as we, we look at this, this study today. And Lord, I just ask you to bless it in a special way by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Some of you might have heard the story about Boudreaux. He, was, he, he was, had a little piece of land and he struck oil. And I mean, just immediately, he was a wealthy tycoon. And, uh, but something happened. A month or two after he struck oil, he fell down deathly ill. And he was at the hospital, and the pastor came to see him. And he said, Pastor, uh, uh, if, if God will heal me, I'm going to give a million dollars to the church. And the pastor said, well, that's great. We're going to really pray for you. And so uh, they began to pray. And sure enough, Boudreaux got healed. And uh, a couple of months passed by, actually several months passed by, and the pastor hadn't heard anything from Boudreaux, and he ran into him at the grocery store, and he, he said, Boudreaux, uh, you said that if God would heal you, you were going to give the church a million dollars, and I hadn't seen any money yet. And Boudreaux said, did I say that? That just goes to show you just how really sick I was. <laughs> you know, isn't it funny how we forget the vows that we make to one another, and especially those vows that we make to God. In today's lesson, the Lord's going to remind Jacob of a vow that he made, actually two vows that he made uh, to him at, when he was at Bethel. And uh, we're going to see whether or not Jacob kept those vows as we, as we look at this study and also uh, maybe learn a few lessons about the perils of making vows as we as we uh, go through this study. Uh, I want to pick up where we left off last time. If you remember in our story, Jacob had made a deal with Laban. Laban didn't want Jacob to leave because, because God was prospering Laban through Jacob. And uh, so Laban said, you know, you name your price and we'll make a deal. And Laban said, look, I don't have anything. I want something out of all of this. He said, just give me the speckled, the striped, the spotted, the streaked, the brown, the flawed sheep and goats that are born, and you can take all the flawed and sheep and speckled and striped goats and lambs, and you can remove them as far as you want to remove them away, and then only the ones that are born thereafter from the thoroughbred sheep and goats, those will be mine. And so he made the deal, and, and uh, the reason he made the deal was because Jacob was playing with a stacked deck, because as we're going to see today, he had had a dream, and in that dream, uh, God had showed him that he was going to prosper him, and sure enough, the dream came true, and he was prospered. And if you look down at the last verse of chapter 30, let's read that together. He says, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So in just a matter of, of six years, I mean, uh, Jacob became 
uh, more prosperous than anybody in Haran, even more prosperous than Laban. And so Laban and his sons are, are, are thinking, hey, they've been had, and they're mad about it. And so I think they're plotting to get all of that, those sheep and lambs back, maybe even to take the, 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 their, his daughters back, and, and uh, maybe even to do harm to Jacob. And Jacob hears of this, because we pick up in chapter 31. It says, now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as it was before. Now, I don't think that Jacob and Laban ever really liked each other a lot, but at least they pretended to. But now that... uh, uh, Jacob has acquired all of this wealth. Laban and his sons, they're furious. And uh, they're bitter towards Jacob. And he can see that. He can see that in their countenance. I don't know if, if you have that gift or not. I'm sure you do. I think every human being has that gift. But you can tell when somebody doesn't like you. You can tell when somebody is bitter towards you. I saw somebody just a while back that I hadn't seen in years and uh, I saw them, and when I, when I came to their presence, it was like I could see the countenance that they did not like the idea of being around me. Now, I, personally, they might have saw in my countenance it, it was mutual, but, but uh, uh, we at least pretended to like each other and, and, and be nice to one another. But you can tell, and Jacob could tell. Just They weren't saying say anything that he was actually hearing, but he could tell just by their countenance that they were up to no good and that more than likely they were about to make some moves to try to get back those sheep and those lambs that Jacob had earned, you know, but not through deceit or anything like that, which is kind of surprising seeing that's the way he usually operated, but he earned it by the, the fact that God had prospered him. So then we pick up in the next verse, and then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Boy, is the Lord not an on-time God. Here is Jacob, and, and he doesn't really know what to do. He knows more than likely that, that Laban and, and his sons are probably going to do harm towards him. And, and, and God comes to him, and God tells him what you need to do. The Lord comes to him, and he says, Return to the land of your fathers and your family, and I will be with you. And so uh, that's the way the Lord works. I mean, the Lord will put you somewhere, and, and I'll tell you, when you know for a fact that the Lord has placed you in a particular job, in a particular town, in a particular marriage, in whatever God has placed you in, when you know God has put you there, you stay there until God tells you to leave. Now, if you're married, God's not going to tell you to leave, but he might tell you to leave your job. He might tell you to leave Lafayette, but you don't leave just because you've got an urge or just because your back's up against the wall. You stay there until you hear from God and he tells you to leave. And when God tells you to leave, he's going to tell you where to go. God's not going to just tell you to leave. God's going to tell you where I want you to go. And so he tells Jacob, I want you to go back home. And so Jacob is going to tell his wife's about his plan. And, and so he's, doing, he's acting pretty nobly here at this point. Really kind of out of character. So Jacob sent and he called Rachel and Leah to the field. Now I want you to notice here that Rachel and Leah, what were they doing when they, were, when they were under the tutelage of Laban? They were working in the fields as shepherdesses. So at least 
Jacob has changed that. Jacob has, has them at the house, taken care of the kids, and he's actually bought female servants to help them with the household work. So they've, they've got it pretty good in, in Haran at this point. But he comes to them, and he sends for Rachel and Leah, and he said to them, I see that your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. So I, the fact that God has been with me, I couldn't help but being blessed. And God has blessed me. And your father liked the fact that I was being blessed until we changed the deal. In these last six years, I've actually benefited from the blessings instead of Laban benefiting from the blessings. And so your father's mad at me, and I think he's going to make a move to take back everything that we've earned over these years. And so uh, he says in verse number 6, And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me these last six years, and he's changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled sheep and goats shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said the streaks shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. What he's saying right there is here, it started out, God told him that he was going to bear these, that these sheep are going to bear flawed sheep. And when the sheep bore, when the sheep and goats bore speckled sheep, Laban said, hey, you can't keep all the speckled sheep. I want some of the speckled sheep. So God changed it, and they started bearing streaked sheep. And then and Laban said, well, I'll just take the streaked sheep. And, he, and when they started all bearing streaked sheep, Laban said, hey, you can't keep all the streaked sheep. You can keep the spotted sheep. And then they started bearing spotted sheep. Well, you can't keep the spotted. You, can't, you can have the brown sheep. Well, then they started bearing brown sheep. And Laban changed those wages every time, ten times, he said, over and over again, he changed my wages, trying to stop me from being blessed by the God. But you're not, you're not, Laban wasn't going to stop God from, from uh, blessing, uh, I mean, uh, from blessing Jacob. And listen to what God says next. So God has taken away the livestock of your father, and he has given them to me. Laban had changed the deal over and over again, and then God is. He says, God has taken away the livestock from your father, no matter how many times he changed the deal, and he's given, given them to me. And, and Jacob says, I knew he was going to do that, and the reason I knew God was going to do that for me is because God had told me in a dream that he was going to do that for me. And then he describes the dream beginning in verse number 12. He says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and grace." Spotted. Now, they weren't literally uh, streaked and speckled and gray spotted because all those sheep had been moved uh, three miles away uh, and they became Laban, part of Laban's herd. But, but uh, their genes of these rams were carrying flaw, uh, recessive genes and so they were, in God's eyes, streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. And the angel of the Lord spoke to me in a dream, saying to Jacob, and I, and I said to him, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I have seen the fact that Laban has treated you unfairly, that he's robbed you of your wages. 
and I'm going to recoup those wages for you, and I'm going to give you even more than you were, you were due. And uh, uh, then he says in verse number 13, he says, I am the God of Bethel. That's the way Jacob knew the Lord up until this dream, up until this point. I'm the God you met at Bethel, <coughs> where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now, arise, get out of the land, and return to the land of your father. So the Lord tells Jacob, first, the first thing he tells him, he says, I am the God of Bethel. Bethel, what, what was Bethel? Bethel was the place where Jacob saw the ladder coming down from heaven, and he saw angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And uh, so what God is saying here is, I'm the God you saw at Bethel, but I'm also the God of Aran. And, and remember back in chapter 28, when Jacob saw Jacob's ladder, when he saw that ladder, and the Lord spoke to him at that time, Jacob saw the Lord as some sort of local de- deity. He saw him as the God of Bethel. That's why he called the place Bethel, the house of God. And then God appears to him at Haran. So when God appears to him at Haran, he's telling Jacob something very important about himself. What is he telling him? He's telling him that he's omnipresent. That wherever you are, Jacob, that's where I'm going to be. You, you, you're, whether you're in Haran or whether you're back in the promised land or whether you're at Bethel, I'm there. So he's teaching Jacob right here that he's omnipresent. Back in verse number 12, when he says there, he says, I've seen what Laban is doing to you. What's he telling Jacob there? He's telling Jacob that I'm omniscient, that I know all things, that I see all things, that I'm the all-seeing, all-knowing God. So Jacob's getting a theology lesson right here. And then he tells Jacob that I'm going to fix these sheep, these rams, so that they're, all your sheep are going to bear sheep that are going to belong to you, sheep and goats that are going to belong to you. And I have the power to do that. So what's he teaching Jacob through that dream and through his actions? God is teaching Jacob that he's omnipotent. Now I'll tell you what, when you can get to the place where you really believe that God is omnipresent, that God is omniscient, and that God is omnipotent, you've arrived as a theologian. You've really arrived as a Christian. Now, how many of you believe that God is omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipresent? How many of y'all believe that? How many of you don't believe that? Don't raise your hand. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? I, I don't think sometimes, I know some of you don't really believe that. You believe it in your head, but you haven't, it hasn't gotten down to your heart yet. Because when it gets down to your heart, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you go about your life when you truly believe those things. Now, you know, everybody in here will assent to the facts that, that, that God is omnipotent, that God knows uh, that he has all power, that he's omniscient, that he knows all things, he knows where I'm at and that uh, he's omnipresent. He's wherever I'm at, God is there. We assent to those facts, but we really don't live our lives as if we really, really truly believe those facts in our heart. Uh, that's the way Jacob was. Jacob, Jacob is being taught about these great attributes of God, but I don't think he still fully trusts the Lord. 
if Jacob really trusted these, this theology that God is teaching him, he would have acted differently. What he's going to do, he's going he's to pick up those sheep, pick up all his possessions, get his wife on camels, and he's going to run for his life. Now, if you really believe that God is omnipotent and that he's omnipresent and that he's omniscient, then you, he wouldn't have done that. But, but, but that's what he's going to do because he doesn't really believe that. And I think we do the same thing. God, over and over and over again, has shown us that he is omniscient, that he's omnipresent, and that he's omnipotent. And we say we believe that, but when our backs are against the wall, I think it's real easy for us to throw that theology right out the window and end up trying to fix things on our own. I see so many Christians who try to vow that they're going to fix their lives. They're going to fix what's wrong. I'm going to fix what's wrong in my life. And, 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 and instead of trusting God, they try to fix it. And they make these promises, and they don't keep the promises because they're not letting Christ live through them. Paul says, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me. And people say, well, that doesn't sound very practical. Friends, that is the most practical thing a Christian can learn to do, is to let Christ live through you. Until you learn to do that, you're going to struggle. You can make all the vows you want. You make all the promises you want. But when you're up against the wall, you're going to fail. Christ doesn't fail. So if you're failing, Christ is not living through you. Now, here's what I want you to notice here. I want you to notice back in this verse here, in verse number 13. Look what he says there. The Lord says to him, you made me a vow to me. Right in the middle of all of that dream and all of that talk, God says to Jacob, you made a vow to me. He actually made two vows to him. You made vows to me literally is what it says. You made vows to me. How long ago was that? That's 20 years have passed. Has God forgotten those vows that Jacob made? No. They were very, God took those vows very seriously. I mean, he, if, or he would have forgotten them. God doesn't forget anything. But God is reminding Jacob that you made vows to me 20 years ago. Now, what vows did he make? Go back to <coughs> chapter 28. And let's look at those vows for a second. Look at the vows he made. And, and, and they were noble vows. Real noble vows. Look at, look at chapter 28, uh, down in verse number 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me on the way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Now, for 20 years, what has God done? He's kept him on his way, he's clothed him, and he's fed him. Has God done what he said he was going to do? Exactly what he said he's going to do. And so that I can come back to my father's house in peace. What's he about to get to do? He's about to come back to his father's house in peace. Now, it's going to be a rough road. And it's going to look like he's going to, not going to make it back to, 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 to his father's house. But he's going to make it back. God's going to keep his word. And so Jacob had vowed that if God would do all of those things, in other words, if you will bless me, Lord, I'll make you my God. That was a stupid vow. It was a selfish vow. But God still remembered that vow. So it was important to God. God took that vow very seriously. That's not the only vow he made. Look look what else it says. He says, 
and the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. See, that was that idea of God being a local deity. Now, he's learned different from now. God's there in Haran. But listen to this vow. He says, and of all you give me, I surely will give a tenth to you. So he makes two vows there. He makes a vow that you're going to, I'm going to, you're going to be my God. And God's lived up to his part of the bargain. So he's vowed, God should be his God at this point. And he's made a vow that I'm going to give a tenth of all I make, all you prosper me with. I'm going to give a tenth of it back to you. Those are noble vows. Actually, the tithe is certainly a noble vow. But let me ask you this. Were those vows necessary? I mean, would God have not protected and clothed and fed Jacob and not have gotten Jacob back into the land if Jacob had not made those vows? God would have gotten him back. God would have protected him. He would have fed him. He would have clothed him. He would have taken care of Jacob. Not because Jacob was a righteous man, not because he deserved it, not because he made the vows, but because of the promises that God had made to Abraham. So why was God going to get Jacob back into the promised land? He was going to get him back into the promised land because he was an heir to the promises of Abraham. He was going to get him back to the promised land because of grace, not because of the vows that he made. (coughs) But nonetheless... Jacob had made those vows, and the Lord had remembered those vows, and the Lord had taken those vows very seriously. Now, whether or not Jacob gave a tenth of all that God prospered him with is really questionable. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jacob gave back anything to the Lord. And and, and so, so we don't know from the text whether or not. I mean, with Abraham, we know he gave a tenth because Melchizedek came and, and he gave a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. So, so there you have an actual picture of, of Abraham making that tithe, but we never see that with Jacob. But as far as Jacob making God his God, he's a long way at this point from doing that. Long way from doing that. In fact, I don't think Jacob ever made God his God. God made God his God. Jacob never would have done it. God, that's the same way with you and I. Lord, I'm going to make you my God. I'm going lo- to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. You can't make it out that door loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Some of you are drifting away now and you're not loving the Lord with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And none of us can do that. And, we, and you make those kind of promises. You can't keep that kind of promise. And, and so it's only God who can work in our lives in such a way. Now, we, got, we have our will, and we've got to exercise our will. But it's only God who, in the end, can make God our God. And, and that's, that's what he does. He does that by grace. Now, uh, let's go uh, look at this story from Leah and Rachel's perspective and see what they do, beginning in verse number 14. In verse number 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Now that's a rhetorical question. And what's the answer to that? No. Their father never really cared about them. They were they were women, and I'm not putting women down here in any form or fashion. I mean, women are 
equal in Christ. But in that culture, women were chattel, at least in, from in Laban's mind. They were property to him. And, 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 and so who, were, who was going to get the inheritance? Those brothers were going to, her brothers, their brothers were going to get the inheritance. They weren't going to get anything. And they had worked for him for nothing. <coughs> and then she asked another, they asked another rhetorical question. Are we not considered strangers by him? I mean, he doesn't even love us. He doesn't even care for us. He's just used us. For he has sold us. I mean, even our marriage to you, Jacob, came because our father sold us to you for your wages. So, so, so we're just chattel to him. And he's completely consumed all the money that he's earned, and he's not going to give us any of it. For all these riches which God has taken away from your father are really ours, that he stole from us and our children's now. Then, so whatever God has told you to do, do it. We're all in. We're, we're ready to go if you're ready to go. And Jacob's ready to go. So Jacob's got the word he wants from his wife. His wife say, hey, we want to do this. Let's get out of here. And then Jacob rose, in verse number 17, and he set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained, and he had gained his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padam Haran, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols from her father. Now, we're not going to get into the story about the household idols till next week. So we'll save that one for right now. But, but here's Laban, and he's gone to shear his sheep. Now, where is sheep? Where is sheep? They're, they're three-day journey away. So that means when Jacob cuts out and starts heading out, it's going to take somebody three days to go find Laban and tell him that they've left, and then three days for him to get back, get ready, and go chase after them. So he's going to get him about a seven-day head start. So if he ever was going to leave, this was the time to leave. If he's going to leave the way he, he, he left, this was the way to do it. And so, but look at the way the Lord sees this in verse number 20. And Jacob stole away like a thief in the night. He stole away. That wasn't the way God intended him to leave. God had said, now, I want you to leave. But he didn't intend for him to steal away in the night. He says, and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he had intended to flee. So he fled with all he had. He arose and crossed the river Euphrates and headed toward the mountains of Gilead on the east side of the Jordan. And so here is Jacob stealing away in the night. He doesn't even let Laban see his daughters and his grandkids for the last time. That was, that's terrible what he does. And in doing it the way he did it, let me tell you what he's doing. He's breaking that vow that he had made to God at Bethel. That vow in which he said, I will make you my God. I'm not talking about the vow about the tithe. I'm talking about the one where he makes that, the vow he makes that he's going to make Jehovah his God. And he did that. For the same reason, many of us make vows in the first place. Because of pride and distrust. In other words, pride in himself. Yes, God's told me to leave. Yes, God told me he's in my God. And yes, God told me he's going to take care of me. But I really don't trust him to do that. I trust myself. He had pride in himself. And so what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to get out of there. 
and he's wanting to steal away, just like a deceiver, just like his name says he is, and he really does the wrong thing. What should he have done? What, did I, what do you think maybe God wanted him to do? He wanted him to man up. That's what he wants us all to do, guys, ladies, women up. He wants us to man up, and he wants to face our problems face-to-face with the people that are causing us our problems and trust the Lord to take care of the rest. And, and so what Laban should have, I mean, what Jacob should have done, he should have gone to Laban and he should have said, the Lord has told me I can leave and I'm about to leave. And I'm taking all my sheep and all my goats that I've acquired and I'm taking my wives and I'm taking my kids and kiss them goodbye. This is it. We're about to leave. That's what he should have done. But he didn't trust God enough to do that. And so what's, he, he's afraid of Laban. He's afraid of uh, 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 Laban's sons. He's afraid what they're going to do to him. And so he steals away in the middle of the night. Now, somebody might say at this point, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't Laban have stopped him? Wouldn't Laban have maybe taken back his sheep right away and taken his daughters and his grandkids back and sent Jacob run and maybe even killed Jacob at this point? No, because God was on his side. What's going to happen, we're going to see next week, Laban's going to chase them down and he's going to find them. He's going to take him seven days to find them. But on that first night, when Laban is sleeping, the Lord's going to come to Laban in a vision and he's going to tell him, you better not mess with Jacob. You better not mess with his wives. You better not mess with his kids. And you better not mess with his property. All of that is his. But he's going to chase them down anyway. He's going to chase them down because he wants to see his grandkids one last time. He wants to see his daughters one last time. And so Jacob should have trusted the Lord, but he didn't trust the Lord. So Jacob really didn't keep his vow. And the reason he didn't keep his vow is his pride and his distrust of the Lord. He really hasn't made the Lord his God at this point. That doesn't mean that God didn't hear his vow. That doesn't mean that God didn't take his vow seriously. God wanted him to live up to that vow. God wanted him to to make the effort to make the Lord his God. God wants that from all of us. I mean, I don't think he wants us to vow that that we're going to make him our God, but he wants to be our God. He wants for us to live as if he's omniscient and he's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. He wants us to live that way. And he takes those vows seriously. Even though he knew Jacob wasn't going to keep that vow, he was never going to live up to the vow, he took that vow seriously. And that's why, as we conclude this, the lesson we want to learn, that it can be a really foolish and prideful thing to make a vow to the Lord. You better be real careful about that. Because when you make a vow to the Lord, the Lord is going to take that vow very seriously. Very seriously. And at some point, if you make a vow to the Lord, it's going to be really hard You're going to be put in a situation where it's going to be really hard to keep that vow. And that's why my recommendation is not to make vows to the Lord. Now, that's after 
30 years of experience and s- several of those years where I used to make vows. I've learned not to make any vows to the Lord. None whatsoever. I, 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 I take it back. There's one vow I'm making. We'll talk about that one in a minute. This is what Solomon says over in Ecclesiastes. He warns us about making vows. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. You know the way the Lord sees us if we make a vow and we don't keep that vow? He sees us as a fool. He sees us as treacherous. He sees us as a liar which we really are outside the grace of God, but that's not who we are in Christ. He has no pleasure in food. He says, pay what you have vowed. And then he, he makes the case, the same case I'm trying to make, it is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. You know, again, I've learned over the years, like I think Solomon learned, that it's just better not to make vows to the Lord and then wind up looking like a fool and a liar. Because that's what happens if you don't keep the vow. Because when you make a vow to God, a serious vow to God, at some point it's going to be really tested. And there are sometimes there's going to be circumstances that are going to creep up that are not going to allow you to keep that vow. And so you're going to end up, even though you didn't intend to end up that way, you're going to end up looking to the Lord like a fool and like a liar. You remember in Acts chapter 23, when those 40 Jews made that vow that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. 40 of them made that vow. What happened? Well, the centurion got him out of town. And as far as we know, and I, I mean we do know from the book of Acts, they never lived up to their vow. They never killed Paul. Now, I wonder how long it was before they ate and drank. I don't think that all 40 of them died of thirst and, and starvation. I think at some point they ate or drank. And so they broke that vow. And all they, I mean, they didn't accomplish what they had vowed to do. All they did was accomplish... Uh, the, uh, making themselves into fools and liars by making the vow. And I don't know, you know, it used to be I thought that was the thing to do. I mean, I, I would fall, I would have a certain problem in my life, and what I would do, I'd make a vow to the Lord, I'll never do it again. That was a big mistake. Because God showed me real quickly, you will do it again. I remember, it was like 20 years ago, I was a coffee addict. I mean, all I did was drink coffee. I mean, I would get up in the morning, I would go to my office at the church, and they would have a pot of coffee going, and I would grab me a cup of coffee, and maybe two cups of coffee. And then somebody would come to visit me at the office, and we would sit and talk, and we would all drink coffee. Then I'd go to the hospital, and I'd visit with people and, at the hospital, and they always had a coffee pot brewing, and I would drink some coffee. And then I would come home at night, and I'd be working on some paper for my, for my uh, doctoral program, and... and uh, I would drink coffee for hours to keep myself awake. And I remember doing that for several, really maybe even a year or so. And one day, I was drinking that coffee, and my heart began to flutter. And I mean, it was fluttered, and it wouldn't stop. And I knew it was the coffee that was doing it. And I said, Lord, 
I will never drink coffee again if you stop my heart from fluttering. My heart went right back to its normal beat. And I almost said to myself, what have I done? (laughs) But my heart has stopped fluttering. Well, a few days passed, and I went to the office, and they were drinking that coffee, and I smelled that coffee, and it was so good. I mean, it smelled so good. And and I said, well, you know what? One cup isn't going to really break the vow. It's it's really, you know, the vow was I'm not going to get addicted to coffee again. I kind of changed the vow. So I drank me a cup of coffee, and that's all I drank that day. The next day, I drank one there, and I went to the hospital to visit somebody. I drank one there, and then I had paper to work on, so I drank one there. And before long, I was right back doing what I was doing before. You know, the Lord doesn't want us making vows on things like that. The only vow, here's the vow that the Lord wants us to make. I said a while ago, there's one vow that the Lord wants you to make. And that's a vow that you're going to believe in Jesus Christ. You're going to rest in him and you're going to trust him to bless you, to help you, to help you break habits, to, 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 to do what you can't do yourself. That's the vow God wants you to make. He wants you to vow to cling to him. That's the vow he's looking for. Not a bunch of vows, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, I got, back, I got back to drinking that coffee and my heart started fluttering again. And, and I wasn't going to make a vow again. So I prayed, Lord, please stop the fluttering of my heart. Please get my heart back to normal. And, and I don't know if it was instantaneous, over a couple of days my heart did go back to normal. And I didn't have to go to the doctor or do anything like that. And then I said, Lord, you know what? Coffee's bad for me. I can't handle coffee. I'm addicted to coffee. I don't want, I, I don't want to drink coffee anymore. Please take the desire out of my heart to ever drink coffee again. And, and I think the Lord sort of did that, but he left a little bit of desire there. But I'll tell you what, I went back and I drank a cup of coffee. <coughs> it wasn't much longer you know, after I, I'd asked the Lord to take that away. And it made me want to throw up. And I thought, well, I didn't eat breakfast this morning. You know, it's just, you know, just turned my stomach. And so the next day I didn't do it in the morning, but I was at the hospital and I grabbed me a cup of coffee. And I had to go to the bathroom and throw up. Twenty years later, I can tell you right now, I cannot drink a cup of coffee. I can drink a cup of decaf, iced coffee, something like that, just every one. But that even turns my stomach. But if I drink caffeinated coffee, it will make me throw up. Now, you can say that's psychosomatic. I don't think so. I think God actually took that, not only took that desire, he made it to where I just couldn't drink coffee ever again because coffee was doing harm. And all I had to do instead of vowing to stop doing that, I just had to ask God to help me with that. You see, all our vows to do better to, to our vows to break some bad habit we got. Our vow, you know, I have people vow, I'm going to love the Lord God more than I've ever loved him before. I'm going to love the Lord, I vow to love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. You know, people who say that are liars. Nobody does that. And some of the, I mean, it's so obvious, you can look at them and tell they don't love the Lord God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. You just watch them for 10 minutes. But people vow to do those things. And, 
and, and people vow, I'm, you know, wherever you call me to, to, to serve you, Lord, I'm going to go there. And then God calls us and we do this. You know, God certainly didn't call me to work in children's ministry. That's for, that's for I'm above that. Or God didn't call me to, to witness to that person. I'm above that. I mean, we just don't listen to God. But we, we shouldn't be making those vows. I mean, that's why George Lichtenberg puts it like this. He said, the greater sin is making the vow, not breaking the vow. The fact we make vows, we're saying we can do something that only God can do for us. We are bound to do something that we need God to do for us. And that's what we need to do. We need to ask God to, by his grace to help us out of the fix we're in. Ask God by grace to help us break that bad habit. Ask God by grace to help us to love him with all our hearts and with all our soul and with all our minds. To truly make him our God. Listen, it was grace that was going to get Jacob back home to the promised land. Not his vows. And it's grace that's going to get you and I home to the promised land. Not our vows. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all you do for us through your great loving grace. Lord, that we don't have to to make promises we can't keep. Lord, it's a good thing to want to to love you with all our heart. It's a good thing to want to serve you, Lord. It's a good thing to make you our God. It's a good thing, Lord, to break those bad habits that beset us. But, Lord, give us the heart to do that, but you help us to rely on your power to do those things, Lord. To trust you to do those things. That's the vow we all need to make today. That we're going to trust you to make us better people. Lord, we can't do it. No matter how much we vow to do it, we can't do it. So we humbly come to your, your altar, Lord, and we pray that you make us better people. That you help us to break those habits that beset us, Lord. Lord, we just ask for your grace to just pour out on us in such a way, Lord, that we have the power to live the kind of life and to love you the way you want us to love you. We can only do that by your great grace. We pray for that in the name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.